Welcome to Sports Bites. Welcome to Sports Bites. With your host, Chris Joseph. Chris Joseph. Are you a sports fanatic who loves the thrill of the game and the delicious food that accompanies it? And then they had uh, chicken fingers, exotic chicken fingers. Join us as we dive into the world of sports and the delectable bites that make the experience even better. Whether you're in the stadium, tailgating, or watching from the comfort of your home. Get ready to satisfy your sports cravings with Chris Joseph on Sports Bites. Bites. Let's dig in. That's right, everybody. It's time to dig into episode 38 of Sports Bites. And I've got a special guest today, a guy that I've worked with for a long time. Uh, One of the best, man. Uh, Just absolute great guy. And I got him on because I was playing Michigan in the Big Ten Championship game. It's a big game. And there's a lot of strange stuff happening at Iowa. I mean, here's a team, and we'll get into like the record, but now their offensive coordinator is probably going to be let go because of a contract. And it's just, there's a lot of craziness going on. I wanted to get his thoughts on if Michigan is in any danger and just the thoughts on Iowa football. Josh Helmer, he, man, he, he's a man of many jobs. Hawkeyeswire.com. He does the podcast Locked On Sooners, which is really good. I saw uh, my boy Jordan Evans was on there, and he's one of the co-hosts on the Plank Show with Chris Plank, and that's another guy with about eight thousand jobs. But man, Josh, I appreciate it. Com- you know, you coming on. I know there's a lot you're doing back out in Oklahoma. Joe's, it's great to be with you, man. Uh, I hope uh, everything's going well, and I learned from the best, right? In terms of. Uh, yourself and plank and everybody you got to have a million jobs in in media that's just the way it goes right it's it, there's a lot going on but can i tell everybody you know I, I was asking before we came on you know how how did you kind of get involved being out in oklahoma i know you're a kansas city guy but how'd you get involved in covering iowa football <laughs> it's a popular question it's hey did you grow up an iowa fan what happened here and uh, the the answer is as simple and i'll try and make this brief for you uh, wanted to get into writing, you know, had, had written before, you know, in college and everything, and just wanted to branch out and not strictly do radio and uh, the high school streaming stuff, as as you know, with us at the ref, and wanted a writing opportunity. That happened for me in a contributor's role with Sooners Wire. One thing led to another. I basically asked around, hey, you know, what's a, is there a chance for a site editor role at some point in the future? And just so happened they were starting the Iowa website about two years ago and then I, I was off and running it, it was a good fit for me because you know being from Wichita Kansas and everything uh it uh it has the the Midwestern values so the fan base I, I feel like I, I kind of instantly clicked with the the Iowa fan base uh sure. and and so it's it's been a great match man it's in in lo and behold it wound up just sort of falling right into this uh this meme of a story with the Iowa football offense and you've had Caitlin Clark uh basketball has been pretty good with Fran McCaffrey so it, it's been fortunate to take over at the time that obviously I I got to I mean obviously there's a lot of history at Iowa I mean Hayden Fry you know Chuck Law I mean you talk to Tim Dwight I mean there's so many names uh I'm George Kittle Norman Kidd you know played at Iowa there but this is it's a weird year now I always joke and not to take a shot at Kirk Ferentz but Kirk Ferentz seems to be like a professor that has tenure. Like, there's nothing you could do. And not that I don't – what's the pulse for, like, Iowa fans? Are they okay with him being there? Is are, is there that rumbling of we want somebody to kind of finish the job? I don't think there's any doubt that 
on some level, there is a split in the fan base of, look, we love Kirk Ferentz. There's this guy has taken this thing about as far as it's going to go at Iowa. He is Iowa football. You got Hayden Fry and you got Kirk, right? These are the two, the two deans of Hawkeye football. And then there's the other faction that's like, okay, is it time for somebody a little bit more modern? You, you know, it was up until really this season, and though it didn't totally work out with the injury with Cade McNamara and Eric All, Seth uh, Anderson has been a nice uh, portal addition for Iowa. Iowa, the, the big debate amongst the fan base going into this past offseason was, okay, here you've got this offense that obviously has a, a lot of issues, right? Uh, and the offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, I know we're going to discuss. And yet, Iowa wasn't really helping itself via the transfer portal. It was very archaic in the sense of, no, this is kind of what Iowa does. We go find a three-star here, maybe an occasional four-star, probably no five-stars, maybe a two-star, maybe somebody that's not rated, a walk-on here, and we put it all together and we develop them over the course of time. They hadn't really gotten into the transfer portal game. Well, that changed this offseason, right? So there's been different things beyond just the offense itself and its ineptitude, Chris, to where the fan base was sort of of the mind that, okay, maybe the writing's on the wall and it's just kind of past Kirk Ferentz by. Then you get into a season like this one, right? Where against all odds, okay, here's Iowa. They're 10 and two. They probably should be 11 and one if you take the Cooper DeGene uh, nastiness of the invalid fair catch ruling away. So you've got those two things at war with each other where Kirk Ferentz Man, it's hard to argue with the success that he's had, and yet there's you know the faction of the fan base that wonders, okay, could you achieve, could you find more if there was somebody else that was, I guess, a little bit more modern, wanted to recruit a different way? The, the pattern, the path to success is hard to argue against, though, for Iowa. Well, you've obviously watched a lot more of the Iowa games than I have. I, you know, I've, I've tuned in. I was watching the Minnesota game, which, and I officiated, so I was kind of like, eh, you're skating on thin ice with that one. But again, they, they should be 11 and 1 and just going up against another really good defense in Penn State. And that was kind of, you know, that one kind of snowballed on them. But what is it with this offense to where, you know, I know Kate McNamara got hurt and you bring in Deacon Hill. Is he really 250? Oh, yeah. That's a big, I mean, that's, that's a big quarterback. No, he he looks like uh, a fullback out there at times, moving around. But uh, you know, he's he, look, he's not incredibly nimble. But for being two fifty, he's surprisingly nimble for that. It it does basically make uh, you don't even really need a tush push at Iowa. <laughs> it's just hey, Deacon Hill's going to sneak it and he's going to get it if you've got it within a yard. But he has, of course, his his limitations. Sure, uh, but with the offense, you know, and I was kind of going, and I know stats aren't everything, but when you're looking at guys like Lashawn Williams. You know, 155 carries, but only one touchdown. Is it is it red zone breakdowns or costly turnovers? It's about anything you could think of with uh, with Iowa, where the offensive issues have have lied. I mean, obviously, a year ago you had Spencer Petras, who was statistically, if not the worst, one of the worst quarterbacks in college football by just about any metric you would look at. Passing yards, passing efficiency. Uh, I mean, on and on and on. The guy's not mobile, right? And yet you've got an offensive line that was pretty makeshift for the Hawkeyes. So that has constantly kind of been there of why is the offensive line not better for Iowa? Then you don't really have a quarterback that's mobile in Petrus. Okay, we fast forward a year. McNamara is the guy that you you went and attached your NIL hopes to. You were successful 
luring a Big Ten championship winning quarterback, ironically, a quarterback that beat you in the Big Ten championship game, to come to Iowa City to be this guy that's a little bit more mobile, that's proven, has been a winner before. And uh, as soon as the year gets started, he gets a quad injury at the kids' day at Kinnick, never fully recovered. And then obviously he has the season ending uh, knee injury about five weeks in. So that was a hiccup for Iowa, but it's larger than that. I mean, it's the offensive line has, it's gotten better toward the end of the season, but it's been an issue the last two years. You haven't been great at receiver. You went and got a a kid who was a four-star, five-star Caleb Brown from Ohio state was another part of the transfer portal hall this off season. It took until week nine, week 10 for Caleb Brown to really get serious snaps at Iowa, which is, to get one of those head scratching things it's like how do you go get this talented wide receiver and you don't play him so it's it's tough to answer simply why Iowa's offense has been so bad offensive line quarterback wide receiver I mean it's like on and on and on just about anything you could think of Iowa's had a problem with it yeah even field goal kicking when you look at last week probably the most Iowa way to win a game against Nebraska you bring in a guy who's never kicked a field goal before to kick a game-winning field goal and they win they beat Nebraska but you know, Brian Ferentz, and I want to make sure I get this correct. I, I was doing some reading early on in the season and just trying to, like, figure out what was going on with his team. And if I read it correctly, he had his contract restructured to where he took less money, but then there was two clauses, that they had to win at least eight games, I think it was, and they had to average 25 points a, a game or else his his contract was going to be terminated. So, again, here's a chance for a guy on a, you know, on a team that should be 11 and one playing for a conference championship will probably be without a job at the end of the season. And it's not probably anymore, by the yeah, way, it's, it's official 18 points that, a that, game right now. Well, and, and Beth gets, uh, who's the interim Iowa athletic director about a month's time ago. And I might be, I might be a little bit short or long in the timeline. I can't remember exactly, but basically she, she overstepped Kirk Ferentz because remember you've got the, the nepotism rules in Just place here. So, <laughs> Well, and, and it's uh, legally Kirk Ferentz is not Brian Ferentz's supervisor because of Iowa nepotism laws. Gotcha. So uh, Beth Getz is Brian Ferentz's direct supervisor. And basically she stepped in a month ago and said his contract's not going to be renewed at the end of this year, regardless of what happens the rest of the way. But you're correct in his original agreement under then the previous athletic director, Gary Barta, who retired in August. He, uh, they reworked it to where Iowa would need to win at minimum seven games, and the offense uh, with the the defense, with the special teams, Iowa collectively needed to average twenty five points per game. Obviously, they weren't they weren't going to get there. So he he had initially that rolling contractual agreement where, uh, let's say each summer, I, I think in June it would turn into basically a new two years of his contractual agreement. That was put on pause. It was okay. It's either seven wins, twenty five points, or the agreement terminates and obviously uh now Beth Getz has just totally stepped in and he's not gonna be the the uh, offensive coordinator at Iowa they'll they'll be once seasons end here they'll be in a full full-fledged offensive coordinator search which of course leads us to some questions about what does that mean for the head coach right that's why I said I, you know jokingly Kirk Ferentz seems to be like a professor with tenure you know that they're, they're you know he's just there but you being, you know, covering the team, and obviously we're going to talk about Oklahoma because there's there's some offense coordinator news there as well. It how attractive of a job is this for somebody? Well, I'm trying to take the uh, the black and gold glasses off here a little bit. Okay, 
because I think it's a pretty attractive gig. I do. If Kirk Ferentz is there for the foreseeable future, and even if he's not, the the scuttlebutt that you hear is because of the sustained success that Iowa has had, the stability of its last two coaches. Like you think about Iowa football, it's Hayden Fry all the way back to the 70s, and it's Kirk Ferentz all the way here to 2023. So it's been in no uniform puns intended here. It's been Pittsburgh Steeler-ish in Iowa City to where if you're the head coach, generally speaking, you're pretty safe, right? So that's attractive out there to head coaches, the stability angle to it. And for coordinators, I would imagine that that part of it's attractive too, knowing that, okay, this is probably historically has not been a musical chairs situation in Iowa City. And then, oh, by the way, you've got LeVar Woods, who routinely has one of the nation's best uh, group of specialists. Well, Drew Stevens uh, took a little little backseat this past week to Marshall Meter, but hey, you step up and deliver the big kick when you need it. Phil Parker, he's a Broyles Award finalist right now. That's Iowa's defensive coordinator. So the guys that you're working with, assuming that if Kirk Ferentz is there, if for some reason you get into this offseason and Kirk Ferentz makes that surprising decision that he's going to retire, well, okay, assuming that Phil Parker and LeVar Woods are still there alongside you, if you can just be competent, not great, Chris, competent offensively, 50 nationally, 45 scoring offense, whatever number you want to throw at me, we're talking about you're going to have a chance to contend for a Big Ten championship. Yes, with Oregon coming in. Yes, with UCLA and Washington and USC, all of these schools. Iowa's there defensively and special teams wise. They just can't figure the offensive side of the equation out. So with all of that, I would imagine – it's it's an attractive gig. I mean, fourth in points allowed, 12.2 points a game. So, I mean, they stop, guys. If you're an offensive coordinator with a pulse, I mean, just score 20 points a game, you'd think. But talk a little bit about this defense. You know, looking, again, I saw a little bit of the game, haven't really got to watch a lot of it. But when you look at statistics and you got a guy like Jay Higgins, 141 tackles, that's a linebacker that's all over the place. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, he, uh, he he didn't get to double down on Iowa's back-to-back Butkus Award winners here, though he uh, he certainly made an argument and a case for himself. He wasn't uh, a finalist for the Butkus. He was a semifinalist. But Jay Higgins has had a marvelous season for Iowa. Here's somebody that waited, waited, waited in the wings. This is his first year starting for the Hawkeyes. And so he was behind, again, last year's Butkus Award winner, Jack Campbell, who's doing a bunch of nice things uh, as a rookie with the Detroit Lions. Uh, behind Seth Benson, he was a spot guy, came in and uh, and helped Iowa in bits and pieces and actually made a couple of starts last year. But this has been the full season of work for Higgins, and he's been incredible. He, he's been in that Buckus-type conversation alongside Nick Jackson, who's a portal addition that Iowa went and got uh, three-time uh, all-ACC guy before he joined Iowa, Nick Jackson, out of the transfer portal from Virginia. So those two guys at backer, came in and stepped in for a couple of guys and Jack Campbell and Seth Benson that were triple-digit tackle guys and have just just kept things moving. So pretty impressive. Well, I know Cooper's hurt, but talk a little bit about Cooper DeGene the season he's had. I mean, he's a, a Thorpe Award finalist. He's so good, man. It's uh, I, I know the, the offense has become a meme and a joke, but it, it really it's amazing. The amount of snaps that these guys play, Higgins, uh, Jackson, DeGene, you're talking about being as taxed as you could possibly be taxed. And DeGene locked one side of the field down. In addition to that, he's uh, he was, okay, he's the Big Ten defensive back of the year 
just yesterday was announced, right? He's the uh, sixth out of the last nine years for Iowa. So it's like the Hawkeye defensive back of the year award in the Big Ten right now. Right. And uh, he's also the return specialist of the year out of the Big Ten. So in addition to basically taking one half of the field away, Chris, he's electrifying in the return game. A legitimate difference maker. Won the Michigan State game for Iowa with a 70-yard punt return touchdown and should have won the Minnesota should game. Should have won the Minnesota I'll game. Let, uh, I'll let any of our true rules review nerds out there that want to sit and say that the invalid fair catch uh, was a proper review ruling. You can have it, I guess, but it looked like a 54-yard punt return touchdown to me for Cooper DeGene. And so a clutch time. In a winning moment, yeah. again for Iowa. So I can't say enough nice things about him, man. He's going to be a longtime pro, and he's going to make an NFL franchise very, very happy. So let's talk about the game coming up Saturday in Indianapolis. I mean, I know Big Ten, they're used to playing in cold, but it's going to be indoors. Iowa's third Big Ten championship. They're 0-2 so far. They lost to Michigan State in 15 and then lost to uh, Cade McNamara in 2021 with that Michigan team. Does does Iowa have a chance? I mean, I know when you kick the ball, you always say it. I think the spread's what, 21 and a half right now? And I think climbing, so... It's uh, it's every bit of a four-score spread going into this thing. Do they have a chance? Yeah, yeah, I think they got a chance. I, I actually, and a lot of people would probably tell me I'm crazy for saying this, I thought this was the better matchup for Iowa between Ohio State and Michigan. The skill guys for Ohio State, you know, your Marvin Harrison Juniors of the world, Egbuka, that, that part to me was uh, a little bit alarming. I, I think there's a chance, and again, Michigan a heavy favorite here for Iowa to stuff the run and be successful running the football themselves. That's the obvious path to victory. I mean, this is going to have to be a day where Leshawn Williams runs for, you know, crosses the century mark. Caleb Johnson, another one of Iowa's running backs, uh, Jazzy and Patterson, all three of them, right? They got three guys they like at running back. Leshawn Williams has been the, the leading rusher, but all three have done positive things at times. They're going to have to just lean on that offensive line, be successful, incredibly successful against an obviously a very talented Michigan defense, and then work some play action here and there, right? Find uh, in Addison Ostringa, the tight end, Astilianis, uh, one of the tight ends, and who knows, uh, maybe one big catch and run play from uh, from a Caleb Brown or a Nico Ragaini. It's a tall task. Can they win the game? Sure, they can win the game because uh, defense and special teams, they're tremendous. Uh, but obviously, they got to find a way to to lean on the run game. Yeah, and watching that Michigan team, you know, at the, everyone loves Michigan. Obviously, good defense, but they don't, to me, have that explosive guy on the boundary that can just go get the ball. Their their biggest offensive weapon is Corum, and I think Loveland at, at tight end. I mean, those are your two. And if you can, again, good linebacker play, and I know Cooper's going to be out, but you know, if if you can stop Blake Corum, it'll be interesting to see how they do with the run. With their their leader on the line, who had the you know the pretty bad injury in the Ohio State game, you know it, it leads to it. Uh, you know it's one of those. I I imagine it's going to be a low scoring game. Well, the other thing at play here for Iowa is, look, it, it's your age old cliche: pull out all the stops, nothing to lose type <laughs> right. game. What's Brian got to have? <laughs> Let's bring it all. And this is I just think in my mind. Here's a here's a little nugget that I've not heard many people talking about with this game as it pertains to Iowa. 
if you crunch the numbers on Kirk Ferentz's career, right? So he had an initial head coaching stint at Maine, and obviously he's had this long 24-year uh, run with the Hawkeyes. If he wins this game or the bowl game, one of these two, he would cross the 60% threshold needed for college football Hall of Fame status. He won't be there without a win in one of these next two games. So you've got the Brian Ferentz factor at play. Right. Where you've you know your your son is no longer going to be the OC. You you can kind of bring out all the stops in this game where you're a big time underdog. And oh by the way, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain in the sense of this would be to me the perfect see you later. If you win this right. Big Ten championship game for Kirk Ferentz, you tie Hayden Fry in terms of three Big Ten championships that you won. It's probably never going to get better than that with the the West Coast teams that are coming into this conference. I could see this being, I crossed the 60% threshold. My Hall of Fame status is secured, and it's over. I'm done. Somebody else go coach the bowl game. Phil Parker, LeVar Woods, here's your chance to audition for the head coaching role. Again, that's a little bit out there on planet, whichever one you want to pick, but it's crossed my mind this week. It'll 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 be interesting, you know, and everything at Iowa, and I know a guy we all used to ha- you know, know Charlie Taylor. He He's out there at Iowa doing good things now, but – you know, one of the best traditions in all of football when you turn around and wave to the kids at the hospital. And, I mean, you know, you, you want to see success because of, you know, what Iowa football represents. But it's, uh, it's a tall task going up against Michigan. Going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, you know, we got to know each other covering the Sooners. And, you know, it's, it's still my favorite team. I'm out here in SEC country. And, of course, Oklahoma's coming out. But a lot of news in Sooner country. Um I, I was one of those people that at times was a little bit frustrated with Mr. Levy and who has now left and taken over the Mississippi State head coach job. But, uh, you know, I, I was going to go through a whole list. But they announced today or yesterday, last night, that Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley are going to be co-offense coordinators for the Oklahoma Sooners. Yeah, it's uh, an in-house hire, which tells me that uh, it, well, both in-house hires, by the way, promotion for – Joe John Finley and uh, Seth Luttrell was an analyst on this staff over the course of this past year. And obviously prior to that, uh, the North Texas head coach, but has been around and uh, everybody's in house here for Oklahoma. It tells me the continuity first and foremost, clearly was a, a big factor at play here. We've already seen Oklahoma's five-star quarterback, uh, Jackson Arnold, who every Sooner fan, that's that's who you're attaching yep. the future to, is uh, JFA, as he's called yeah. uh, around uh, Norman, Oklahoma. Jackson Arnold, he's come out and given his uh, social media vote of confidence just with a couple of exclamation mark emojis. So it, it definitely, it, it reads to me, Chris, like, number one, continuity was very important. Sure. Number two, Jackson Arnold gave it the vote of confidence. And uh, in, in number three, you probably had the succession plan already in place, and this was this was where your heart, your gut was kind of always leading you. There wasn't an external candidate, though we heard Brendan and Marion's name tossed around. I was big on the Andy Kotelnicki train out of Kansas. Uh, I was a, I was a big supporter there, but it sounds like the gut, the heart was kind of always Seth Luttrell, Joe John Finley, who now becomes, I think, the heir apparent for when maybe Seth Luttrell gets another head coaching gig, assuming this all goes well. Right. And, you know, it's interesting with, with Seth because, you know, obviously he's a legacy. You know, his father played there. He played on the national championship team, you know, what, what he did. And I, and I think 
you look at what he's done and going into the SEC, you would like to have somebody that's called plays before. I, I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, you, you can't, you know, even if they weren't going to the SEC, Joe's, it's for me at Oklahoma, I don't think you can have, I don't know that you can have it in Iowa, but at Oklahoma, you know how this fan base is. You can't have somebody that's never called plays calling plays at the University of Oklahoma. Now, you can have Joe John Finley be an understudy for the next uh, two, three years and then convince everybody to have Joe John Finley as uh, your next offensive coordinator. But where they're at right now, just generally speaking at Oklahoma, this is, I mean, this is blue blood college football. This is not, hey, let's have a trial run, whether it's year one in the SEC or year 25 in the SEC or Big 12. So that that never seemed realistic to me that like a Joe John Finley was going to be the solo offensive coordinator or Emmett Jones or, you know, toss uh, any of the other sorts of candidates' names at me. It felt like it would, yeah, have to be a Latrell, somebody seasoned. Well, I'll tell you, being out here in Alabama, I've heard from a lot of Crimson Tide fans that are not happy at the fact that the Oklahoma game is the week before the Iron Bowl. They are not looking forward to that coming out cold weather, possibly the end of October. And, you know, they're like, SEC didn't do us any favors. We got to come play y'all before the Iron Bowl, which, you know, it's it's crazy out here, Josh. And I and I, I try to explain it to Toby and TJ when I've talked to them before. Literally, when I moved out here, I was asked, who do you root for? I'm um, an Oklahoma guy. No. Who do you root for? Oklahoma. No. Like, they make you pick Alabama or Auburn. Like, it's – there's no in-between. I mean, it, it, it's crazy, but – I'm looking forward to what. What are your thoughts about Oklahoma coming? Oh, and Texas. I mean, I think it's a big deal with Texas too. I mean, two of the the biggest names in all of college football. Well, obviously, we've been you know covering this, uh, waiting on it now for a couple of years. It's uh, you went through that interesting moment where what we had the Houston Chronicle report, uh, like A and M leaked it, and all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, is this going to happen? And so those couple of days were wild, and then obviously it was announced, and you had a year of okay, well, are they going to leave early? What does the timeline look like? So we've been building toward this SEC move for some time in uh, in Sooner Country around here. I'm fired up, man! I can't wait. Are you kidding me? This is you know this because you you've been around the 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 media business in Oklahoma. Fans had kind of grown even uh, even as far back as, I don't know, the early 2010s where you had that run of national championship success for SEC programs. The Big 12 titles were starting to wear thin. For anybody that doesn't know Oklahoma football inside and out, it really was like to the point, oh, great, a, a Big 12 championship. That was – I mean, it hasn't been good enough for the Oklahoma fan base anymore. Playing Iowa State and with all due respect, the Kansas States and TCUs uh, of the world, it, it wasn't exciting, this fan base no. uh, anymore. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a win-win. I mean, we're talking about it uh, here today on radio. Here you got Alabama second week uh, before the end of the regular season next year, right before the Iron Bowl. And Oklahoma fans are like, well, wait a second. Is, uh, is it going to be Missouri as your regular season finale? Is that going to be on the Oklahoma end of the – I know that that's challenging for Alabama, but is it going to be host Alabama go to Death Valley to end the season versus LSU? I mean, it's like right. all these different scheduling scenarios that you get to talk through and think about. That's that's incredibly challenging. But man, from a viewership standpoint, from a media coverage standpoint, are you kidding me? It, it's, Potentially it's, Bama and LSU in back-to-back oh, -back weeks doesn't get any better than that. It's going to be so awesome. And I, I've reached out to 
you know, Toby and Teddy and those guys. And, hey, hey, when you guys are here, you come see Joe's. Dinner's on me. You know, I'm the food guy. You know, we'll get you all taken care of. But what what would you say, how would you rate Oklahoma's season this year? Where would you put it on the spectrum? I think a B minus probably for me. You know, uh, definitely above average. But uh, I, I wouldn't define it as great. The uh, The end of the Kansas game, frustrating that you got that conservative there to lose the final bedlam alone obviously leaves Sooner fans with a poor taste in their mouth. But uh, the the snaps in that game, that's the, the thing that I can't get past. How can you not uh, execute a snap? Uh, it, it was not a good road team for Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, uh, you lost at KU. You lost at Oklahoma State. But you really didn't play all that well at Cincinnati. You didn't play well at BYU. Uh, interestingly enough, the away from home game you played the best at is the best team you played uh, against Texas, who you beat. So, uh, because of a couple of those factors, I can't just sit there and say it was my this. Emotions, my emotions, uh, oh. my focus has been with the team. Powerball cracking in. Shut up, Jim. Sorry. About Sorry, that. Jim. I I know <laughs> nobody, you. Nobody cares, Jim. You Coach cheated. of America's team has a lot of things to say, which <laughs> uh, which of course makes sense. No, but it, it's tough for me to define it as this resounding success because. Frankly, the the schedule to me wasn't altogether challenging. You should have, on talent, beaten both Kansas and Oklahoma State. I think we should have an undefeated Oklahoma playing a one-loss Texas this week in the Big 12 championship game, but obviously they didn't do that. I'll give it a B-minus because they did improve from 6-7, and seven, but uh, I, you know, uh, there's clear improvement and some clear jumps that still need to be made for Oklahoma, in particular defensively down the second half of the season. If you had to put your chips down, I know there's a lot of scenarios still out there. If you had to put your chips down on a certain bowl game against a certain team, where would you where would you lean your money? I think Alamo Bowl. Alamo Bowl seems to be uh, what you hear the most. Holding out hopes, fingers crossed for New Year's Six for Oklahoma. I, I would imagine the Sooners. I mean, look, uh, unless you get into Missouri because they've quote unquote earned it more than Oklahoma this year from a rating standpoint, from a fan base standpoint, I think Oklahoma wins that battle versus Missouri 15 times out of 10 Penn state. Okay. Maybe not that one for the Sooners, but a couple of those teams on the cut line, I could see the, uh, the, you know, the bowl games that be in the new year six saying, yeah, we're going to take Oklahoma. So I'm not ruling that out, but based on probably how it's going to play out, it sounds like Alamo bowl. That it'll still be, I mean, better than last year, you know, six and six, you got a chance to win 11 games. The other question I have, I know we've covered a lot of stuff. You, you've been around, especially with, with plank, the softball team, baseball's had success lately, making it to the college world series. Uh, uh, Coach Baranchik has the girls ranked. They went on the road, won an SEC game. Porter's guys look like the best team he's had since he's been at Oklahoma. What sport do you think is going to benefit the most other than football from going to the SEC? Man, that's a great question. I think, uh, I hope it's baseball. You know, I hope that you have the the rising tides effect for Oklahoma. I, I don't know that uh, Oklahoma could play uh, in any galaxy in softball and probably, <laughs> you know, keep winning the way they're going right now. So I can't say softball. I thought about actually gymnastics just because of the uh, the the collective attendance in the SEC and the 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 programs across that league. 
I, but again, you know, women's gymnastics has kind of been a juggernaut uh, with or without the SEC anyway. So I'm hopeful that it's baseball. Uh, you know, I think that'd be great. A basketball. I think men's basketball has a chance to be solidly in that upper third of the SEC, whereas maybe uh, in, in Big 12 basketball, he, uh, obviously of late these last couple of years as Porter's tried to get this thing rolling, it's been challenging in the nation's best conference in the Big 12. But right. I, I I don't see Oklahoma just being this bottom half SEC men's basketball program, so I could see that one. But, man, I, yeah, I, I think I'm going to lean baseball. It's going to be rugged, but just the ability to sell that you're playing those programs right. to local kids I think will help will help OU and from a you know MLB draft perspective I would imagine that that helps you maybe win a couple more in state battles and maybe some some more of these uh, regional battles as well they're going to have to get better facilities because as it stands now and it's no shot at Eldale Mitchell I mean I, I love that old ballpark but it's probably either them or Missouri as far as the worst facilities in baseball now in the SEC yeah no I know it's disappointing and Hopefully, hopefully that does happen as the wheels keep turning from uh, the Don Joe Castiglione on all sorts of renovations across the board for Oklahoma. You know, they pumped money in at times, but it just needs that one big facelift uh, to all of the concourse, et cetera, et cetera, and maybe some outfield amenities type stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things that probably they need to do. The The clubhouse itself is way behind everybody else, right? So the the team facilities, more even than, you know, you know this, the fans probably deserve it less than the team deserves in upgrade around just the the actual, the guts, if you will, of Eldell Mitchell. Last two questions. Playoffs are there. Who do you have in the playoffs, your final four teams in the playoffs? So we're right here upon it. Uh, I think Georgia's just in a dynastic run right now. I'm not going to pick against them until – Alabama shows me that uh, I need to, which obviously Alabama's playing uh, really good football with Milrow and company here. The you know ever since the uh, Texas loss, but I'm going to take Georgia to show up and give us the best version of Georgia. So I like Georgia to win the SEC championship. There's no way uh, that I can. I, my heart of hearts wants to pick Iowa, but I'm I can't. Right, uh, obviously you got to stick with Michigan to win the Big Ten championship and get in. I think Oregon. Uh, is beating Washington in the rematch there. So there's three spots accounted for. I don't know what to make of the ACC championship. I I kind of think Louisville's going to spring the upset and Texas is going to win. Right. And I think it's going to be uh, Texas, Oregon, Georgia, and Michigan in your college football playoff. And I'll take Georgia to win until proven otherwise. See, and I was hoping that Florida State wasn't going to get penalized because my early prediction, I had Georgia, Bama, Michigan, Florida State at the beginning of the year. That was my my four obviously because of what Norvell had coming back versus, you know, we saw him in that cheese it bowl. I was hoping that they didn't penalize them for Jordan being out. Cause I mean, we can think back Ohio state when 12 gauge came in, nobody thought he, and he, he led to a national championship. So, I mean, sure. you know, it, now you got to go out there and do it, you know, but I think if they win, I don't, I don't think you can leave them out. I just hope, I hope they don't get punished for it, uh, for Jordan being there. But last question, man, it's been a lot of fun. I could talk to you for hours, man. But Sports Bites is the name of the podcast. So I always ask people the final question. We always, in media, whether it's covering high school games, college games, going to pro games, it's about the food, too. What is the best thing you've ever had to eat while you were out covering a game? I know we've traveled to some bowl games and stuff, but 
in your time in media, where's the best place you've ever eaten? Oh man. I, a, I just have a soft spot for the Texas state fair, the, the fanfare of the game itself. I mean, how can you cover the university of Oklahoma? And, and, and there's probably a million better options than this, but like for me, wax beer, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but I'm getting, I'm getting a fried Oreo at yep. the Texas state fair. So just anything from the Texas state fair, man, is so tough to beat. It, it's, it's iconic. You know, I've tried to tell people out here, Yes, there's times at the Iron Bowl, it's a bigger game. I was like, but everything encompassing that football game with the fairgrounds. And, you know, I used to have to be at the fairgrounds at 4 o'clock in the morning to get us set up for pregame show. So I would see the buildup of nothingness and black, just pitch black, and then a couple orange, a couple red, then a mass of humanity. And it was always great when you won because you could walk around and, you know, the, they emptied out. But, yeah, the, the Fletcher's Corny Dogs, you got to get your coupons early. Get a wax cut beer, and, and you're good to go. You're good to go. You know, of course, I remember being there the year when Big Tech spontaneously combusted. <laughs> yeah, that, my friend. That's from the history books now, uh, baby. It, it is. But, man, Josh, tell people how they can follow that Hawkeyes wire. Yeah, if Iowa fans out there watching, listening, uh, appreciate uh, you guys jumping in. Hawkeyes Wire, simple on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. Hawkeyes Wire, you can find us there. And then uh, that's Facebook, uh, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, and HawkeyesWire.com. So we are constantly covering it there. Then obviously the radio side, I would encourage everybody to download, just search KREF and download the, the app to listen worldwide to myself and Plank and Toby and TJ and Teddy and Tyler and Steelman and Parker Thune for all of your Oklahoma coverage. And then myself and uh, tip of the cap to John Williams on the podcast side for Locked On Sooners. You can just search uh, Locked On Sooners anywhere you consume podcasts. YouTube is a, a great way to watch us as well. So, man, there's there's a lot of different ways. Probably people are like, man, we've had enough, Josh. <laughs> like overload. Uh, it's funny, you know, with Plank, of course, out here, McElroy and Kublik is the morning show. Greg McElroy and Cole Kublik. And I flip flip back and forth when TJ and, and Toby are on. And I hear Plank on Cole and, and McElroy's show yesterday. And, you know, I had their guy, Damian Mitchell, on before. And it's, you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun, you know, to talk ball and uh, just, just, just really good to catch up, man. Again, how's, how's your brother doing? He's good. Yeah, he's good. He's uh, stepped away from the sports media game. So he's, He's all in on uh, law school right now, and uh, nice. the, the returns that I hear is that uh, it's going well, but he's got uh, a mountain yet to climb. Sure. Well, like I said, man, you know, two two of the best out there, you and your brother. I always appreciate all the kindness, and, and man, we'll, we'll have to do it again as we get close towards, you know, softball season, and I know Patty's got a brand new facility being built, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun when SEC softball comes around. I can't wait, man. It's going to be awesome. Love's Field is going to be popping. But, hey, no, appreciate you, man. Uh, you're missed always. Uh, you, you say that, you know, my brother and I are two of the kindest guys. You're one of the nicest guys ever in the business. And uh, just appreciate you, man. Keep on trucking. And uh, don't be a stranger. I Jump on with you anytime. <laughs> Roger that, man. Well, I appreciate it. And, guys, uh, again, we're on episode 38 here of this endeavor of mine, just trying to get back into it. It's something I've always had passion for, talking sports and talking about food. So, again, you can go to my YouTube channel. I'm doing food reviews. I actually smoked a turkey, put that smoking turkey on there, you know, for Thanksgiving. You know, I'm, I'm getting involved in all that. But, everybody, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. 
And remember to always positively move forward. Thanks for joining us on this delicious journey through the world of sports and food on Sports Bites. With your host, Chris Joseph. We hope you've enjoyed the game day stories and culinary adventures. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you've got any mouth-watering sports-related tales or favorite game day recipes, share them with us on social media. Until next time, remember, it's not just about the game. It's about the bites that make it unforgettable. Stay hungry for more Sports Bites.